Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Queer Voices of the South podcast on the New Books Network. I'm John Marzalek, your host for today's podcast. Today I'm talking to Baker A. Rogers about their book, King of Hearts, Drag Kings in the American South. While drag subcultures have gained mainstream media attention in recent years, the main focus has been on female impersonators. Equally lively, however, is the community of drag kings, cis women, trans men, and non-binary people who perform exaggerated masculine personas on stage under such names as Adonis Black, Pappy Shulo, and Oliver Klozoff. King of Hearts shows how drag king performers are thriving in an unlikely location, southern Bible Belt states like Tennessee, Georgia, and South Carolina. Based on observations and interviews with 60 southern drag kings, This study reveals how they are challenging the region's gender norms while creating a unique community with its own distinctive Southern flair. Reflecting the region's racial diversity, it profiles not only white drag kings, but also those who are African-American, multiracial, and Hispanic. Queer scholar Baker A. Rogers, who has also performed as drag king Making Love, takes you on an insider's tour of Southern drag king culture, exploring its history, the communal bonds that unite it, and the controversies that have divided it. King of Hearts offers a groundbreaking look at a subculture that presents a subversion of gender norms while also providing a vital lifeline for non-gender conforming Southerners. Baker, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here today. I wondered if you could begin by telling our listeners about yourself. Sure. Um, well, my name is Baker Rogers. I'm an associate professor of sociology at Georgia Southern University. Um, I live in South Carolina, and I'm from South Carolina, so I'm mm. born and raised Southerner. I'm very interested in gender and sexuality. Um, in the South, that's what most of my research is about, and um, my teaching is about as well. And yeah, um, anything else you'd like to know, I'm happy to share, but I'm just glad to be here to talk with you a little about this book. 
Yeah, and how did you come? How did you come to write this book? Well, let's see. Um, so in graduate school, I I went to Mississippi State University for my PhD, and um, in graduate school, I was doing my dissertation. This is kind of the long version of the answer to your yeah. question. <laughs> I was doing my dissertation on Mississippi Christians' views of gay and lesbian civil rights. Um, oh, wow. Actually, that's what my first book, Conditionally Accepted, also with Rutgers, was about. Um, but while I was doing that, I was getting pretty down because <laughs> some of the some of the findings were very positive. But a lot of the things I had to listen to when I sat through those interviews were very um depressing in a lot of ways yeah. and very hard to sit yeah. through. So I was thinking while I was in graduate school, what else could I study while I'm here that would be about gender and sexuality in the South, but also maybe be a little more fun and uplifting. And I had done drag before and I, I knew that there was very little research about it, especially about drag kings. So I thought mm-hmm. maybe I will um, see what what's out there to learn about drag kinging in the South. And I started this project back in 2013 when I was in graduate school um, as my kind of side project while I was writing my dissertation. Um, I actually got a, a, a grant from uh, Mississippi State uh, that paid me to go to drag shows. And so that was fun. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. And it's impressive that you were actually doing another study while you were working on your dissertation. Most of us don't do that. Yeah, I don't I don't know why. I that was maybe not <laughs> the best idea, but it it did give me some reprieve from from what I was studying that was so depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand that. Well, you know, for those listeners who really aren't familiar with drag kinging, can you just give us a general definition of drag king? Yeah. Or drag so, kinging? Yeah, drag a drag king is anybody who performs masculinities, usually exaggerated masculinities, in the context of a show or performance of some way. Um, I say anyone because historically drag kings have been uh, assumed to be at least uh, cisgender, um, female-bodied women. And that's changed a lot and that's kind of what I found and and what after um, my first round of interviews in 2013 I found Mm -hmm. so many trans drag kings and I got really interested in how um, drag kinging was changing from being a mainly cis women's place to a place for a lot of trans people especially trans masculine people so I really um, did some more interviews with trans people doing drag but Anyway, back to the original question that drag king is just anyone who performs masculinities in the context of a show. So kind of like the opposite of drag queening, but there's a lot of things that are different about it as well. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you really outline in the book and really call attention to is how it seems like drag kinging is not as popular, is not as popular in popular culture as drag kinging. Like, you know, for instance, there's the RuPaul show, but people don't hear about it as much. And you know, tell tell us why, why that is. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, one of the main reasons that um, it's coming up first for me in the book, I don't know which order I put these in, but um, mm-hmm. disappearance of the lesbian bars. Um, yeah, as yeah, you know, yeah, lesbian bars are, are gone almost um, across the country. In the southeast, there are maybe two or three left. Um, two main ones that I know about, there might be a different one in Atlanta possibly 
Um, it's kind of actually doing a study right now about lesbian identities. And um, uh. everybody I talked to is like, no, there's gay bars, but no lesbian bars. So most drag queens historically have been um, cisgender men and a lot of times cisgender gay men. So there's still more gay bars and, and gay spaces, um, even though some of those have begun to disappear as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of gay men have places to perform. Um, I think another reason that drag kinging is not as popular is because um, even it's always been kind of taboo to play with masculinity in the way we play with femininity. Uh. Yeah. So um, masculinity is thought to be the norm and just, just is. And so it's not funny. It's not performative. It's not uh, as fun as drag queening is performing femininity in a lot of people's minds. Um <sighs> That's really interesting because I remember reading in your book about the role of camp in um, in drag and you know how camp is something and I'm I hope I'm say, paraphrasing this right but how camp is something that's been kind of common and in, in drag queen shows and accepted but it's something that's that has really hasn't been as um, I don't it's just now coming into drag kinging is that correct Yeah yeah I think so because camp was um camp is like an exaggeration right it's this like playing mm-hmm. with this is i mean when i think of camp i think of the term queering of something right you're just oh yeah yeah messing with it yeah uh, and and people didn't know how to do that with masculinity because i mean we can see back into the 1800s female um in person i mean male impersonators who were women impersonating men but even that impersonation was a very like i wear a suit and tie and pretend to be a man not that I'm going to interrogate masculinity, right? Not that I'm going to break it down. Like mm-hmm. drag queens break down femininity in all kinds of hilarious ways and all kinds. I mean, it's just seen as having a lot more to perform, a lot more to queer, a lot more to do with. And it's just now that drag kings are starting to realize that you can play with masculinity the same way you can play with femininity. And that masculinity mm-hmm. in some ways can be even funnier because we've taken to be so serious for so long. Yeah, so it's it's been almost taboo, especially in the South, to uh, I don't know to stare to to mock masculinity. I don't know if mock's the right word. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think sometimes it is yeah. mocking. Sometimes it's just exaggerated. It's been taboo, and it's also been like I don't know how to do it. Like no one's done it. So what do we do? What? How do we? How do we exaggerate masculinity? I mean, uh, a lot of people had trouble thinking about that. Now. A lot uh, of ways uh-huh. they do that still is like through um, can be problematic, like through they don't know how to do masculinity in a funny way, except through ethnic stereotypes and things like that. Um, I think which is why or sexist stereotypes, which can be funny if you're if you're queering it in a certain way, but it can also be problematic. So it's just like, yeah, yeah. You know, how do we how do we make fun of masculinity with not, without getting into like really um, negative things like sexism and racism and these types of things. Well, you said something really interesting. I'm kind of skipping around too, if that's okay through your yeah, book. Cause okay. I guess, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what uh, you, you talked about how, um, and I'm quoting you here. You said drag represents hegemonic masculinity, but it also can represent challenging masculinity and demonstrating um, the performance, the performance of all genders, I think it is. And you talked about how you noticed in the South that there was more that that 
Southern drag kings were more likely to shy away from doing drag as a political commentary versus exaggerating some of the masculine stereotypes that are that are really negative. Um, in fact, you give example of rape, for instance, in one one section. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, hegemonic masculinity is just that culturally accepted. Like when you think of what is a man, like what image mm-hmm. pops in your mind, and and for most people, that's this like a very a buff guy he's usually white he's usually good looking like all these things and then we also know that a lot of toxic masculinity comes from men trying to be this hegemonic form of masculinity um and and when drag performers don't understand how to parody masculinity but instead just mo- i just they just um What's the word? They mimic it instead of trying to make it funny. Yeah. So when they mimic it, it can be really problematic. Like the example I gave of seeing someone act out a rape scene to a song that was, it was about rape and it, but they did it in this performance and people didn't really seem that bothered by it. Like it was like, yeah, that's what men do. Kind of thing. Yeah, you said it was a Nine Inch Nails song, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. Fuck you like an animal. And, and yeah, and I was, yeah. I was so, I was surprised when I read that. But then I, um, I wondered why, why you thought it was that, um, you were more likely to see, you're more likely to see drag kinging used as a political commentary, versus in the South. Yeah. Um, well, drag kinging. Uh, as I said in the book, that mainly grew in the cultural mainstream in the um, early 1990s. And when it started, a lot of it was um, in the Northeast and um, on the West Coast. And it came out of colleges. And it was usually feminist organizations doing it. Ah, okay. So a lot okay. of the starts of drag kinging getting more popular really came out of these different drag troops or drag families, uh, usually called themselves troops, that were often like, college gender studies students and stuff. So they were really political and they were trying to challenge gender and they were mostly cis women, a lot of lesbian cis women who wanted to say, we can, we can act like men if we want to, we can look like men if we want to. And they really wanted to take power back from men. Um, But as, as drag migrated from the West coast and the Northeast, Mm -hmm. um, it, it began to get into bar culture in ways that weren't necessarily political and became more about like the entertainment aspect of it and the fun of it, um, like drag queen instead of just being political. So now a lot of the drag kings, especially the younger drag kings, don't understand or don't even know about the political history of drag kinging and the like. Even back to male impersonators, right? In the 1800s, mm-hmm. they were they were doing this as is a political act in a lot of ways to say, uh, "I deserve a place on the stage. I deserve the power. I deserve to be listened to. I deserve to be able to make jokes." Um, but now, a lot of the drag kings in the South don't know that history and don't connect with it, and they're just using drag either for fun or as a way to try on masculinity because they think they might be trans or genderqueer or something like uh, that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. In general, a lot, a lot, um, not as, as an educated population of drag Kings, which has a lot to do with region has a lot to do with just changes. It has a lot to do with, you know, class also. Um, we we're talking, you know, these first drag Kings were, like middle or upper class 
gender studies students, right? Who had the money to go to uh, yeah. gra- graduate school in gender studies in the Northeast in the 1990s. I mean, these were a lot of white women. And um, so, yeah, so it's changed a lot. It's be, it's just become, it, I don't even know if I would say become, but in the South, I don't know that they've connected to those feminist roots of drag kinging ever really. It's just something that they started taking, they knew that drag kinging exists and started to, in some ways, mimic drag queens in their, um, in the way that they performed it. Which the way drag, they performed, yeah. Yeah, and drag queens have never necessarily been that political. It's been a, more about humor and and escape mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and uh, fun um, in a different way, yeah. Well, and you have this great, you have a great chapter, you know, where you talk about the intersectionality of all, so many different things, um, race, um, gender, and even, um, I don't want to leave anything out, but, you know, you talk even about the geographic location somebody's living in and how that mm-hmm. affects, how it affects, that affects um, someone's drag persona and, and their, in their performance. I just wondered, how do you, how do you think the culture of the South impacts or has you know has an effect on somebody's um performance as a drag king yeah um i mean i think in the south we still um as a general rule are more conservative um the south is still more religious the south still holds um more i hate the word traditional but traditional ideas about gender um right so i think that that i mean most of the drag kings I spoke with and most of the drag kings performing in the South are, are from the South. And, and so they've been socialized to understand masculinity in this more stereotypical manner than, and then maybe drag kings in like specific Pacific Northwest or the West coast um, might have a more fluid understanding of gender. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. that all of that and all of our socialization, um, a lot of the drag kings are still religious um, and I don't think you would find that as much in other areas of the country either. So I think all of that goes into, um, really making regions shape how they even think about masculinity. And so how they view masculinity is how they perform mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. It's what they yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Kind of tied to this is you make a comment that I thought was interesting. You say that, um, masculinities are performances. What did you, mm-hmm. what did you mean by that? The, there's nothing inherent um, about masculinities, um, in mm-hmm. my opinion, that there are some inherent things about maleness and about femaleness, but we're taught about masculinities. And, and, and the way we mm-hmm. know this, what we teach in sociology is like if we look across different cultures and time, it's looked totally different. So if it were inherent then men in all places would be doing something similar and they're not right. In some cultures, uh, mm-hmm. in some cultures we know that men are, you know, dancing around with makeup on and that's, that's masculine in that culture. So um, there's nothing like that says that makeup is inherently for women and, and that dancing is inherently for women and not men. And these things is things that we've been taught. So we're taught and then we perform them. They're not something natural that just comes to us. We have to learn them. I mean, why is, why is hunting assumed to be a masculine thing, right? It's because mm-hmm. we're taught it, mm-hmm. not because it, I mean, most women can hold up a gun and shoot it, but that's not something we are taught as a feminine thing to do. So um, I, I say that masculinity is, is, a social construction that's 
that we've been taught to perform. It's not something we have innately. It's not something we're taught how we walk. We're taught how we talk. We're taught how we even mm-hmm. shake hands and things like that. So it's about gender expression versus, uh, I guess, biological gender? Yeah, versus biological sex, I would say. Yeah, like biological, biological sex. sex exactly. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's yeah, one thing. Yeah. And, and I, I think there's a lot less differences in terms of biological sex than we believe is a general rule, too. Mm-hmm. There, mm-hmm. there are obviously a few things that, that each sex can do that the other can't for, you know, like women can have children. That's like one of the few right, things, right. like actual differences. Um, but when it comes to gender, mostly it's just about the expression and how you feel like you, you have your gender identity, how you feel, and then your gender expression, how you perform that. And there's nothing natural about it. It's all about how you've been taught and how you want to perform mm-hmm. it. I mean, I can perform yeah, masculinity that, one day and femininity the next. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it, too. Uh, talk about, if you would, talk about um, your alter ego, um, making love. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I wanted to... Uh, I love the name, by the way. Yeah, oh, that's great. It's you. awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, a lot of the names, as, as you read in the, in the description and then as you read in the book, are just really punny i guess right they're used yeah. to use different puns and they're funny and a lot of them though are very sexist and a lot of them are about penises um so oh, i didn't funny. want my okay. name to yeah. be about a penis <laughs> and i didn't <laughs> want my name to be sexist or problematic that's so funny wanted, yeah uh, i wanted it to be something punny that wasn't sexist so that's yeah. why I, how i came up with making love um and um yeah my alter ego making love is just very, very confident in a way that I don't think women are taught to be confident. Um, mm-hmm. Very fun loving. And um, I always say my alter ego is also uh, from, should have been in an 80s hair band, right? So, <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. So very um, rock and roll, but also just goofy and fun. And um, I, I love to do it. I haven't even performed that much. It's just a few times I ah. performed, I just noticed. And I know a lot of performers and I went to lots of drag shows and yeah. I just noticed that everything I read about drag kings or drag queens wasn't like anything I'd heard or witnessed or felt when I was performing. So that's why I thought it was important that we look at drag kings in the South because they're just so different in a lot of ways. Um, and mm-hmm. drag is just being used in different ways in the South than it was used say in New York when it was like used as a feminist outlet, it's just being used a lot differently. So um, that's so interesting. Yeah. 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 Making love just gave me that a little bit of behind the scenes view of it all. And let me, I guess, do my um, ethnographic research in a way I I wasn't, when I performed, I wasn't doing ethnographic research. In fact, like I performed before I, I started this research. So, um, but, but then looking back on it, it was, it's how I, really knew and understand understood that drag in the south was different when i read the research about drag that was out there interesting and t- t- what a t- talk about performing what that's like when you when you did perform oh man it's uh it's very i don't i'm i'm not musical i can't dance mm-hmm. well i don't i'm not <laughs> a performer in other ways other than i mean i'm a professor i think we're performers in some ways but that's it's right when you're at, when you're stage. on stage right yeah. when you're lecturing yeah. yeah yeah i think it's a different type of performance it's not a it's not a for entertainment in the same way 
Um, although we do have to entertain a lot now to keep our students <laughs> engaged. Um, That's exactly right. Yep. <laughs> um, but um, I don't know when when you go on stage, it just I would always be really super nervous. Um, I will say uh, because uh, if I were doing this as part of my research, I wouldn't have probably had so much to drink. But I was doing it before mm-hmm. my research started, and um, it's a very drinking heavy culture. Um, yeah, uh, the bar. Yeah. yeah, it's always in bars. Um, so I mean, we would have a lot to drink before the shows. We would get there early and get ready. Um, so you just felt like you were—I don't know—you just felt this kind of behind-the-scenes camaraderie before the mm-hmm. show started. And then once you're on stage, it just felt crazy um, just to be up there and performing. I mean, anybody that's like in a band or done musical performances or those types of things, I guess, would um, understand what that feeling's like because I don't really know how to describe it. And I've never really captured that feeling in other ways, even though we're not really singing. We're really, you know, people are watching us perform. And so, well, some, some drag get- kings and queens do sing, but most do not. Most of it's lip syncing. So you're 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 be, you're behind you know you're in the in the behind stage someplace in a in a dressing room, um, changing into the you know the outfit of making love and then the anticipation of going out there on stage and the camaraderie of other people getting ready to do the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a thrill. It's exciting and nerve wracking, and um, I think everybody should do it at least once. <laughs> Yeah, it must be electric that you know that energy that's that's happening while you're getting ready to do that. Yeah, it is, and you're usually cramped in a way too tight dressing room that's not really a dressing room because you're in a bar, so you're probably in a back closet or somewhere weird, and you're putting on like I don't know, just watching queens and kings get dressed and ready, and facial hair everywhere, and hips and all kinds of. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you mentioned drag queens, and one of the things that I, I found really interesting was um, the the role of drag queens as one of the controversies in um, in drag itself, the, the, the tension between drag kings and drag queens. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that tension. Um, I think uh, queens definitely have a monopoly still on the mm-hmm. – and they probably always will, especially with most of these – be taking place in gay spaces. Um, I think there's something to be said for outside of drag. It's assumed that queens have male bodies and that, and that translates into more mm-hmm. power in our society. Yeah, um, yeah. And even when they're dressed like women, even when they're performing as women, they still have that power because it's assumed underneath they have a penis, which is crazy. Right. Right. right, that, right. That, that we assume this one thing that we can't see and we don't know for sure if they have gives them some kind of inherent power, even when mm-hmm. they're performing as women. Um, right. Yeah. Right. So um, I think that's part of the problem. I think there has been a long tension between um, gay men and other people within the queer community, lesbians, mm-hmm. trans men, those types of things. So I think that falls over into drag, obviously. Um, gay men have gotten a lot more of the resources and a lot more of the support from mm-hmm. um, organizations and politically than um, other groups have, and I think some of that tension spills over into um, these controversies between drag kings, which at least the ones I talked to were mainly either cis lesbian women or um, or genderqueer and maybe identified mm-hmm. as lesbian or queer in some way or trans men. And these are all groups that 
um, have had issues with gaining space and resources and these types of things in other ways from from gay men, specifically white gay men. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's there's just a lot of tension there. And I think some of that's going away. I think some queens are awesome at really um, promoting drag kings and helping drag mm-hmm. kings. Um, mm-hmm. Taking them under their wings. I talked a little bit about drag families that usually yeah, yeah. all revolve around the drag mom. So the drag queen really taking kings under their wings. So I think there's definitely some queens that want to work with drag kings and help. But I mean, even from RuPaul, we see, you know, the problematic issues with trans issues and um, drag kings on RuPaul's drag race and those types of things that RuPaul has said in the past just this long-standing um gay men have had a position of power within this larger oppressed group right yeah it's it's it mimics mimics overall society it seems yeah. like it seeps in, it seeps into our community too yeah unfortunately it always does yeah yeah you touched on for a moment when you mentioned rupaul but i thought this was interesting that a lot of people may not be aware of it and the controversy one of the controversies you talked about was the tension between um cis cis drag performers and trans drag performers yeah yeah like you said rupaul's been involved in that but it's a much bigger issue too that just in general um i think until very recently Drag was seen as something for cisgender people to do because it was assumed that if you were trans, that you were cheating in some way because you were getting maybe hormones or you were getting surgeries or things like that. So it was no longer an illusion um, that so drag mm-hmm. when started out as I mean, and they still like some people still call it a male illusionist, right? Or female illusionist. Oh, um, I didn't know yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's this idea of an illusion that we're kind of playing with your mind and we're really something else underneath. Um, and so when, when you start to change your body, then it was seen as cheating or problematic or that, why would you want to continue to perform if you really are a man? Um, but now we've started to see it, go so far as to trans kings being really accepted and then go so far as that like cisgender straight men are performing as drag kings so really uh, it's very rare but i saw a cisgender actually he was i think he was a gay man but he was a cisgender black man performed as a drag queen king and won the show uh, and some people were not happy with that because they said he cheated like it's not you're not you are a man like you can't perform as one because you are a man but he was a really good dancer and he performed as a drag king and he won the won the contest so that and so then i wonder how does that fit into the definition of a drag king yeah i mean for me it fits into my definition because anybody does, performing yeah. masculinity in the context of ah, a drag show okay yeah yeah for me it fits in i mean i don't i don't know like personally like if i were like I would have said before I did all this research, like, no, cis people should not be like cis women Mm -hmm. should not be performing as drag queens. But that's happening a lot more than cis men performing as drag kings. A lot of cis women, they called faux queens or uh, bio queens. And a lot of cis women really want to perform as drag queens because it's so fun. Um, So interesting. And, you know, I've heard people say, you know, in terms of a drag queen, um, who's a cis woman, a, a, a woman playing a man playing a woman. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I guess I guess it's the same with a yeah a man playing a woman playing a man. Yeah, and but that's assuming that you had to be a woman to be a king. Or that's right. Be, that makes yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. really just it's really just a man exaggerating masculinity and or a woman exaggerating femininity because they want to do it. But it, it comes back to the question of is this what drag is for? And also, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it comes to a broader question too. Um, that I've been coming up against lately, especially in my lesbian research and just in general mm-hmm. hearing that some straight cis people are starting to call themselves queer. And it's like, once we let everybody uh... be it, does it become nothing? And like, is there, is there really an, you know, there's a need for a queer space. Like that might be why the lesbian bars disappeared because we feel like there's no longer this need. And when we lose that, where do queer people go? What do queer people do? Where do they go? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who are queer people? If everyone is queer, what does that even mean? Like, so I think it gets to this bigger question of like, if we start letting cis men be drag kings, then are they just going to take over drag kinging as well? And then it just not be this queer, powerful thing that it could be for trans and, and non-binary and women. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what I think about it because I do have some problems with like straight cisgender people calling themselves queer because right right if again if that's like if everybody called themselves yeah something then it it means nothing so well yeah I mean, yeah it's it's an interesting it's an interesting um conversation because yeah. yeah if if everybody calls themselves a member of a minority group but they're not how does that affect the minority group right and and then and then you but when you start trying to police it then you get into bigger problems too so i don't know how yeah. you do that yeah so it's like it seems I like a circle that goes around and around right so that's why i say cis men performing as drag kings or drag kings but mm-hmm. do i like that i don't i don't know uh, you know that's a that's a different question do i do i think that's good for drag Probably not because it's going to take positions away. It's going to take, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't have yeah. a problem with trans men performing as drag kings. So then, then the question becomes, how do we draw that boundary? Because I, you know, I know that trans men are men, but right, they right. do have a different history. And they also probably, a lot of trans men were performing as drag kings before they transition and they don't want to lose that community. Uh, whereas cis men don't have that same issue. So, I don't know. So I, I'm not going to police it in my definition of it, in my own understanding of it. It is hard mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. to think if everyone is something, then, then it means nothing. And it ha- and I think that drag and, and the word queer and all these broader conversations, I think these things are powerful and I, I don't want to water them down to a point that they're not, they lose their power. But at the same time, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't want to be the police of them because I don't want to tell people what they can and cannot do in any way. <laughs> no, I, I, it's it's a it's a fascinating conversation. We could probably have a whole other show about that because oh, it's, sure, it's so yeah. it's so it's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think a good way to um, end our talk today on a positive note is to talk a little bit about the benefits of drag that that you discuss in your book. Yeah, um, I think especially in the South, the benefits are just tremendous. It gives people uh, an outlet. Um, to play with gender in a way that Southern society is maybe not ready for. Um, We're starting to see younger people really play with gender more out in everyday life, but um, people my age and older did not have that space. Mm -hmm. So drag gives people the ability to try on different versions of gender, try on different genders, try on um, 
just to see how that would feel in everyday life. Drag provides support, you know, that camaraderie mm -hmm. I talked about. It provides um, a support system that may not be available to trans and queer people um, in the South in the way it is in other areas where there are more resources. Um, and overall, it just provides an outlet. Um, I think the most important thing is the resources and the support system, but also having an outlet just to have fun and step outside of talking about discrimination and and prejudice and thinking about what's negative about being queer. It provides a queer space to step into that's supposed to be there for fun. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's yeah. important, like to celebrate queerness. I mean, drag really is a celebration and a and a literal sing and dance celebration of queerness in some way i love that that's a that's a perfect way to end our talk today because it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful statement okay, so thanks. well baker thanks so much for talking to me today yes thank you thanks for having me it's very fun i love i love talking about drag anytime <laughs> oh it's a fascinating it's just a, a wonderful conversation um and to our to our listeners if you are interested in reading baker's book king of hearts click on the highlighted title of the book in the description included with this podcast. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Voices Underline South, in the public group Queer Voices of the South on Facebook, or email us at queervoicesofthesouth at gmail.com. And join us again next time for Queer Voices of the South on the New Books Network.